Support comes from Austin Water, helping residents reduce water use while protecting Austin's precious resource during the drought conditions with MyATX Water, providing near real-time water use data, tips, and leak alerts. More at austinwater.org. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives and give us a glimpse into their creative process. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode of This Song, we'll be hearing from James Bagshaw of the British band Temples. They play a brand of rock that's rooted in 60s and 70s rock and psychedelia, but that sounds really current and of the moment. And we've been digging on this band here at KUTX, the radio station in Austin, Texas, where we make this podcast since they released their debut album, Sun Structures, back in 2014. And so when they started releasing material from their new record, Volcano, like last year, we totally started playing it. Like their single certainty is rad and guaranteed to get stuck in your head. Volcano was released on March 3rd of this year, and they came to Austin to play South by Southwest the following week, and they played lots of shows like bands with newly released records do, and we felt really lucky because they played our KUTX Live at the Four Seasons show. It's a morning show that we hold, and about a 1,000 people a day get up really early, Wednesday through Saturday, and they come hang with us, and Temple's headlined our Thursday show, which means they played at 10 a.m., which meant they had to get up really early to get there and play for us, and we thank them because it was a great show. Afterwards, lead singer and songwriter James Bagshaw sat down with me and told me about a couple of songs that got him playing guitar and thinking about producing and that showed him how fun musical arrangement could be. So here he is, James Bagshaw of Temples. Can I say a couple of things? Because yeah, I think plenty there's of people few have different like... things that are yeah, yeah. important. Yeah. The first song I remember really connecting with me was when I was very young. And it was a uh, Fats Domino, um, Blueberry Hill. When I heard that, it was like I think it has that kind of otherness that maybe some of the other music didn't. It's that thing of like it has a certain soul to it. I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill. On Blueberry. Maybe kind of not like all the pop rubbish. <laughs> like, so you say you were young, like how how young? I mean, probably about nine or something like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, really young. It lingered until my dream came true. I shouldn't really have liked it, I don't think, as a kid. You know, I should have been like listening to kind of happy-go-lucky sort of. <laughs> but, you know, I'm listening to this guy that's found his thrill on Blueberry Hill. Well, you know, I don't had no idea what it meant at the time. Yeah. Still still really don't. So well, I mean then after you heard that song and you were kinda like like this and not that other stuff that's been in the background. I mean, did mm. you start to like go to your parents' record collections or like Really what happened then was um 
because I'd been I'd got my first guitar or like ukulele when I was seven, and I got that because of a picture of Elvis Presley, um, of which I later learned songs by. Um, but I think that was when I started like really tinkering on the guitar and like trying to work out maybe songs, um, probably not to a very high degree. But I think that got me listening. So I think. I was hungry for kind of that kind of musical feeling, not necessarily from listening to music, but like because I didn't have money and I wasn't going to say to my parents, you know, can I get a record? Um, so I probably started then trying to kind of play around on the guitar um, and probably years later actually figured out how to play songs by ear. But that so might have been started it. And yeah, like I say, it took years to really, you know, it's when you're that age you're so flippant and it's not like unless you're pushed by your parents which I wasn't you know they, but they celebrated you know if I wanted to play the guitar um, but I never had lessons or anything like that so I'd just it probably sat redundant for many years between then and like being 15 because there's other things to be doing but then at 15 did you kind of like fall fall in love with guitar a little bit what happened was I, I was, I was never, like, I never had an electric guitar, um, and I always learnt finger style on like a nylon string. That was my first guitar was a nylon string after I had the ukulele, and um, I mean my parents couldn't afford to buy me an electric guitar, and not I obviously I was a kid, um, but I remember I was on holiday. I totally I don't think I've ever told this story, which is crazy because it's a huge part of my life really. Um, uh, I was on holiday um, in Cromer, well, no, East Runton, which is in Norfolk. And we did like caravan holidays or camping. And I went into this telephone box, uh, just kind of like playing around in there, you know, like being silly. And um, there was like this, you know, like a PDA, you know, like a little, uh, like the primitive kind of palm pilot, you know, those old like... Oh, yeah, 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 like yeah. Like that kind of thing, but yeah. like a little one, which is basically just a calculator and you can write like notes... And you've got a limit of like the size of the screen. <laughs> I I found this. This is going to make sense. Um, I found this, and then I took it to mum and dad, and I was like, "Look, I've just found this in the telephone box." So I was very honest. I could have just like pocketed it, and I just said, "What shall I do?" And they're like, "Oh, well, maybe hand it in to the the site staff, you know, because it was on the caravan site." So I handed it in, and I said, "You know, I found this." Um, and they said, oh, "Okay, right. Well, if no one comes and claims it by the end of the week, you can have it." And not that it was their choice, but, but I thought that was nice. So anyway, it came to the end of the week and cut a long story short, I took that thing back home, uh, went into school with it, feeling really cool because no one else had this thing. And um, probably like two days later, um, a friend of mine, Luke, was like, oh, do you want to swap it? Like, and I was like, what for? And he's like, well, just come around my house. We'll see, like, do a swap. And, um, and I swapped it for an electric guitar. No way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and that guitar, I remember it. I don't remember the make of it, but I haven't got it anymore, sadly. It was black and red, almost like zebra kind of camo, but it was black and red. So almost like kind of, um, yeah, kind of like camouflage, really. Mm -hmm. Horrible shape, like kind of like a Zach Wilde kind of, you know, like metal rock guitar. <laughs> Well, that was my first electric guitar. And then I sold that at school for something like, 
150 quid, which was a fortune. And oh I thought, I found this thing. I've got an electric guitar, and then I'm going to buy a better electric guitar with that 150 quid. Wow. Yeah. Do you still have the electric guitar that you bought? Yes. And it was I got it off my brother, and it's a, a Squire um, Telecaster. Well, that's... That's actually a crazy chain of events, it is, and you're, yeah. it makes me think your school had some crazy barter, like underground black market d- like, yeah, I know. <laughs> system was, going on. Like, yeah, it's we'll swap, and then I'll sell you the thing. But I still do that today. I'm always like, if I don't have to buy something, I'd much rather swap it for something that I'm not using, that I'm not attached to. It's like the the Dell boy from Only Fools and Horses or something in me. It's the working class attitude of like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's like, how am I going to get this thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because like, if you're if you can't go to mom and dad and say like, you know what, mom and dad, I want a guitar. That's it. Then you have to figure out a way to get it, which yeah. is like, you know what, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take this PDA, swap mm. it with my friend. Then we're gonna sell that guitar, and I'm gonna get a better guitar. Yeah. And that's how I get it. Exactly. My dream came true. That song sounds like the beginning of. The thing, you yeah. know what I mean? Because the music that you write now definitely, it, you know, it touches the past, and you're also a producer, which means that like, whatever sound you heard, whatever quality you heard in that first recording. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it was like it had the same. Like, I guess it's like that ethos that you have of how you want something to sound. Some people are, are like, I mean, I know a lot of people that are like far better musicians than I am, like so much better. But when you when you see them going to the studio, like they have no concept of like how that's going to come across. So, and I think I've always played for the song. So like sometimes on stage, I'll be playing like a guitar thing and I'm thinking, this is like... The, this is the most boring guitar part if I wasn't singing right now. I mean, but that's the point. It's like, it's serving the song. A guitar going dun, 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 dun is as important to the song as the drum kit, you know, uh, these little tiny details. And I think I picked up on that a little bit later, um, probably in 2000 maybe, when The Strokes came out. This is before I was really producing while still kind of recording on like a cassette thing or karaoke machine um the strokes i saw they you know they did that dollar bill concert thing it was like a one dollar concert in new york no well it was on mtv anyway and I, I watched that and i was like god this sounds really bad i was like it sounds really like like it's cassette you know it sounds really low fidelity Last that is their sound and then I was just like that's genius like, I thought that's great like his voice is distorted I was like that, that mic's broke <laughs> but then you hear it on record and you're like no it's not that's his sound and you can hear that that it had an aesthetic and I think then I was aesthetically turned on by records as much as the song I thought well you know this is like texture like it's like put in you know you can draw something flat but you can have texture when you draw as well and almost have a 3d element and i think music's very much like that 
those kind of things of like, all oh, right, okay, songs having a certain attitude and a, a feeling, and then the recording method to serve the song. And you know, I, I firmly believe that if we recorded our first record, if if I re-recorded the first record in a completely different production style, it would be in no way as, you know, as good. You know, because you can, we could put that into an electronic realm, completely electronic, and make everything digitized and make it sound that certain way. Or we could just go into a standard studio and get, and it wouldn't have the same aesthetic and feel, and probably wouldn't connect with people in the same way. I think people would just be like, oh, that's a good song, but nothing else. Like when you're writing, are you already hearing how you're gonna make? 100%. It's as important as the chords you're using. Like I'd, I'd hear it as it's kind of happening. It's not like that's what goes back to that thing earlier about like people getting in the studio and they go right. We're gonna record the scratch guitar. Here's just the, the rough thing, right? Everyone play along, and then I oh, will overdub that later. Redo that. Redo this. There's like generally, I don't think other than maybe vocal takes that get redone just to, you know, if the lyric gets changed or something like that. Most stuff on our records is the kind of, the demo sort of take. So it's strange, it's like- Really? So, yeah, and, and I mean, things like, you know, bum notes will be kind of edited out, but like, um, there's things, uh, the amount of times I've tried to write a bass line, um, with going around the song a few times and going, right, that's what that's gonna do. It doesn't work. Whereas if you just kind of, usually if I just go with it, there might be a few bum notes, but it will it will be going where it needs to be sort of thing, instinctively. So and you're like capturing things like as they come out, capturing it on. Yeah, it's not like, okay, like writing it down. Some things are, don't get me wrong, because like things like orchestrations of things have to kind of, there's a little bit of maths to it, but only that, you know, you can't put, through these three notes together because it will be discordant and not right that's the kind of what i mean by that i mean certainty the bass line on that in the verses was like i looped it round and i had this idea of it kind of being a bit of a kind of macca kind of mccartney kind of thing um and it was like i knew what notes it needed to go to because the chords were there and it was just a case of that was when i had to just keep looping round. so i just put it on a loop of record of the the whole verse and then it, it took about kind of five goes of just looping around to kind of just not hit like five bum notes and then that became the bass line and that's the that's the kind of we didn't re-record that it's just there Same with the synth from the beginning of Certainty. Like, that's recorded in to kind of say, oh, this is what the bass can do with like a fuzz on. It's like, well, I really like the aesthetic of that because it's a nice sound. I tried to make it sound like a fuzzy kind of synth bass, but, and it's just like, well, don't need to redo it. Like, just leave it. Like, it's there, it's, it's right as it is.
Do you want to know the song that I've actually had in my mind for, yeah, for please. this whole yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I listened to it this morning just to refresh myself. Um, it's a Frank Sinatra song um, called Young at Heart. That song for me is just like perfect. I mean, it, it's amazing. And it's so far removed from what we do. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you if you're young at heart. For it's hard you will find to be narrow of mind if you're young at heart. What about it makes it perfect? You can go oh, to just melodically, it's, it's, it's all the right notes, but like all the wrong notes like it's very unusual um some of the note choices and all the orchestrations are like the sort of thing that you listen to and you can't figure out how to play but at the same time it's not prog rock and it's not like overindulgently pretentious if you're young at heart for it's hard you will find to be narrow of mind if you're There's one bit when it goes, um, when life gets more important with each passing day. And it goes, blum, 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 blum. It's got this little pizzicato string bit. And it happens once in the song. And I got to the end of the song, I was like, why didn't that come in again? And I thought, that's genius. And life gets more exciting with each passing day. And love is either in your heart. Or on its way. I was like, we need to do this Don't in our music. You know Have something that comes that in just once. The Easter egg that people keep going, that you yeah. go back for. It's like, and then I just want to hear it. There's a chord at the end of uh, Little Red Corvette, like where they're going to do the outro of Little Red Corvette. Okay. And it's just this one chord that they hit, like this total church chord. Mm. And it just goes, wah, wah, and like, yeah. I will listen to that whole song just to hear that chord. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, anyways. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So it all like fits really well. It's a little weird. Yeah, there's a few bits that are like kind of like this is kind of happy-go-lucky song, but then there's just a few melodic kind of um, motifs um, that are just like it's like Willy Wonka or something. It's like, yeah, it's really kind of a bit creepy. Yeah, but like. It's never creepy when he sings it because he's just like this amazing, you know, whatever bass tenor. I don't know what his voice range is, but baritone. Frank Sinatra. He, he, he just is Frank Sinatra, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And if you should survive to 105, look at all you'll derive out of being alive. And here is the best part. Have a head start if you are among the very young at heart. And his pronunciation as well, which really um, is important because um, a lot of people are quite lazy with like the pronunciation of the words, and you don't really hear. You kind of know what the word is, but they don't. But he does this thing where he goes, "When you're young at heart," and you hear this little, t and it's just so nice that he's. It's so considered. I, d I don't know how it can be that good because it's not, you know, it's not the sort of thing you put on and go, yeah, let's go on stage, come on. <laughs> you know, but it is like my fiance and myself, we, we 
are bonded over that song, and it's um, and she loves it um, as much as as much as I do. Certainty from Temple's new record, Volcano, which, like I said, is a song that is guaranteed to get stuck in your head. Like, it gets stuck in my head on a pretty regular basis because it's compelling. And it sounds like James has this relationship with music where, like, he's interested in understanding what makes music work, what makes it compelling. Like, what is it about a certain song that makes you want to listen to it? Is it the feel? Is it the coherent point of view? Is it the hidden Easter egg in the arrangement? And to my mind, his searching and his analyzing is paying off. You can hear it in Temple's music. And you can actually hear Temple's live. They're embarking on a North American tour. It starts on May 8th, and I will post a link to those tour dates on the show notes page for this episode because temples might be coming to a town near you. Like I said, Temple's show Live at the Four Seasons was rad, and you can find a link to audio plus some video from that show on the show notes page for this episode. And when you check out the video, like, check out James's hair. Like, seriously, he's got the best rock star hair of anyone in the last decade. Like, I dream of having hair that does what his does. And if you want to hear more about the show that they did live at the Four Seasons, you should totally listen to the This Song South by Southwest wrap-up episode. Our live booker, Deidre Gott, chose Temples as her favorite moment of South by Southwest. And it's really cool. It's like a behind-the-scenes look at everything that went on surrounding that show. And after you listen to our South by Southwest wrap-up episode, then you can check out our archives. We have like over 80 episodes with folks like Kevin Parker of Tame Paula and Jim James talking about the songs that changed their lives. Hey, and while you're perusing our archive, we would love a rating or a review. It doesn't take long to let us know how we're doing, but it does mean an awful lot to the team that makes this podcast. I will post a link to Temple's tour dates and a link to the audio from Temple's Live at the Four Seasons show on the show notes page for this episode. I'll also post a Spotify playlist there so you can find all the songs that we've referenced and listen to all of the songs all the way through. If you have a story of a life-changing song, we would love it if you would share it with us. You can call us and leave a message at 512-766-9066. We might edit your message together and play it on the show for real. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of this song. This song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen. The interview was recorded by me, Elizabeth McQueen. Taylor Wallace curates our Instagram account and does a killer job. Kelly Seal is our excellent intern. You should check out her project, Keep Music Weird. Natalie Gaona is our marketing intern. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And it is true. 
Our theme song is Mahout, or Mahout, Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at this song KUTX. You can like us on Facebook and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, Austin Music Minute, Liner Notes, and Song of the Day on iTunes. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.